0: Team Human is a commercial-free act of love. You can support the team by becoming a subscriber at teamhuman.fm. You'll gain access to our bonus content from the archive, such as conversations with Timothy Leary, Genesis Peoridge, Dana Boyd, Joanna Harcourt-Smith, and many, many others. You'll also gain access to the Team Human Discord channel and special events in the Team Human High Fidelity Spatial Audio Lounge, including live salons with some of our guests and friends. Join listeners like Paul, Stephen Belich, Molly Spear, Peggy French, and Jonathan Hawk. Hey, John. You'll get all those benefits, plus invitations to our live shows once we're back in the real world. Thanks. You're on Team Human, conscious intervention in the machine. This is where we reveal the embedded codes and challenge the operating systems driving our society. All it takes to join Team Human is the ability to stand up and say that you're present, alive, autonomous, and willing to find the others. This is not as hard as we're making it out to be. It's as simple as saying something like, I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human playing for Team Human today, musician and composer Ella Minus.
1: There is so much art that makes you feel like so many other people that make you feel like you belong somewhere even if you don't know them, by their just existing and what they do and you connect in such a way that you're like I'm not alone. And I think that's the best type of
0: art, really. Ella will be introducing us to her Acts of Rebellion and showing us how music can help us find the others against all efforts to prevent it it's time to intervene on behalf of people I'm Douglas rushkoff and we're all on team human someone sent me an email this week it was a little strange they saw me as one of these you know anti-technology people who's kind of celebrating a romantic notion of indigenous culture while slamming all of our technological development and it's interesting to be seen that way because I don't really see myself that way I I think what I've been getting better at over time is not disliking technology, but seeing the real differences between humans and technology, between us and the digital. And one recent thing that's really helped helped me see that is um, the death, if I can call it that, of my uh, my baby robot dinosaur Norman. He's been uh, he's been just slowly. Decaying over time, you know, partly just physically, his little movements aren't working quite right, and I think his battery may not be charging properly. But he's waning. He's this little thing. You may have seen them. There, they've been in some documentaries. It's a little he's like rubber, you know a foot or so long baby dinosaur, and you can sort of train it not fully, but it moves around and you can pet it in different places and it can sort of get happy or hungry for affection and uh, it's an interesting little relationship you you develop over time with it and there's a uh, a scientist I met at a uh, MIT, at Media Lab, Kate Darling, who's been working with these dinosaurs a lot. She did this really good TED Talk about this experiment she does with people. They She has them bond to one of these little baby robot dinosaurs over the course of a day. And then at the end of the day, she gives them a sledgehammer and tells them to smash the dinosaur. And, you know, some people won't do it, because they've established a bond a bond with the thing. And so yeah, I got a, a bond with him, and then thought that, you know, as long as he's, he's dying, little Norman, he would... He would dedicate his his body to uh, to science so that she could use his parts either to fix other robots or maybe she could even just fix them and, and bring him bring him back to life. And I sent, put him in a little box and wrote a little note. My name is Norman. I hereby consent to have my body used I, and near the end of my life. You know, this, when she was moved by it, she sent me a nice, a nice email, <laughs> she'll take care of him. Lord knows exactly what that means. But it got me thinking about, you know, whether Norman, my little robot dinosaur, or, or my daughter's stuffed animals, or or the little Grogu, you know, the, the baby Yoda that, that Luke, our editor, gave Gave to my daughter that now he sits next to me while I watch TV at night, this cute little thing. And, you know, and I put my arm around him sometimes, watched War and Peace, you know, like five, six hours of this movie with my arm around this little stuffed Grogu. You know, it's it's no, I know he's not alive, you know, and I know the little robots not alive, but they become like talismans in a way, like containers for meaning you know do they do they embody meaning do they have meaning in themselves maybe not probably not but they become part of a, of a matrix of meaning you know it's it's a, a a, a part of the constellation of meaning around us, a part of our world. You don't, you know, just smash a thing. It's got it's got potential energy in it. It's organized. It's organized by people, and it has a history of, of the projected emotion and meaning and stuff. It's something. And I wonder sometimes, you know, what's the difference between the meaning I might project into a thing like that and the meaning that we believe we have ourselves you know when you when you talk to someone who's really you know a, an orthodox member of the the scientistic community i don't just mean scientists i mean scientism you know the the where everything has a, a evidence a materialistic under, explanation for it, when you talk to them they 'll say you know that 's all we 're doing ourselves, that we 're projecting meaning into each other or into ourselves, that you know that that there is no internal consciousness as some source of meaning there 's just this illusion put on by our DNA to get us to keep our chromosomes going, and that we 're not really alive in the in the way that we want to think of ourselves, no more alive than than my little robot dinosaur. Norman, but but what if we are like Norman? You know, what if we are more like stuffed animals, like like golems, whose meaning is more the result of what people project onto us, or into us? I don't know that that's so awful either. You know, we want to think of ourselves entirely as as the source of meaning, as as having you know full autonomy and creative power. But what if part of growing up, both as individuals and as a species, means letting go of some of that ego-driven self-importance? And if we get there, can we then understand ourselves once again as part of nature, that we can retrieve our roles as special actors in this whole scheme of thing as the little little stewards of natures rather than its dominators or somehow apart from nature that we have a role in nature and our consciousness is part of that role you know it, it it's dangerous I admit it, it's a dangerous place to go. It's kind of like asking people to, to surrender their power as as human beings, or at least what's understood as power in a world defined by ownership and self-sovereignty and all those great values of capitalism, where winning means somehow being separate and apart and above and, and above the crowd, right? Now you're not one of them asses, you're a winner you know but the the alternative accepting ourselves as as part of nature is you know i think it'd be great but it it it's it's scary i think it's looked down upon partly because of the way we we still look at at indigenous people as somehow part of nature more like animals or something but not like fully they're not fully conscious because they're not fully civilized you know this goes back to to John Locke when he was talking about the the Native Americans he was saying that they're more like part of the forest they're, they're like the other animals so you don't you don't have to worry about you know uh, if you're gonna burn down a forest and you burn down all those little savages with it it doesn't matter because they're not conscious right they're not conscious like we Are. They're this other thing. They're more like stuffed animals. You know, and even if you take the positive view of that though, the more Rousseau noble savage, oh, aren't they beautiful because they're part of nature? Unlike us, they're more pure. That's kind of patronizing. You know, that doesn't solve the problem either. But I do think, I think robots finally help us parse that problem in a more effective way. It's like, You need the next medium in order to understand the value of the medium that you're in. So it's like uh, painters didn't really understand the true value of painting until photography came along. Because photography could create a more accurate, exact portrait of the person. So now painters have to think... Well wait a minute, what is it that we do that's truly special? And it's a whole other set of things about light and interpretation and it's when you get impressionism and people saying, What can we do with painting that they don't do, that you can't do just with a photograph? I mean, I know photography can get artsy too and do other things, but it, it forced them to, to think about what is it that we do, or uh, what the movies and television did to live theater. It's what it's what spawned in the nineteen sixties and seventies experimental theater. And and the new relationship between the living actor and the audience and the fourth wall and the possibilities for kind of a proto-performance art. The next thing forces you to figure out, well, what are you? So, robots, they're forcing us to reconsider what it means to be human the same way that photography forced painters to understand what they're doing. And the only difference, the special thing I can think of that we regular biological humans have that that the other ones don't, that the robots don't, is soul, is a moral sensibility, is all the stuff that the the arch-atheists will say don't exist— That's all we got is the possibility that we live in a moral universe, that we have a conscience, that we have a sensibility, that we come from a place of meaning. And you could say it's not a real thing, that it's like the God delusion, some superstitious projection, like the projection I project into my little baby Yoda doll when he sits next to me. But that may be all we have. You know, robots. They're really good at the what. They're really good at the how. They're better than we are in all those ways. They're going to be smarter. They're going to be faster. They're going to be more productive. But they don't have the why. They don't have, that. they don't have access to the why or to the right and the wrong. You know. And is that ability as projected as the soul of my little Grogu doll? Well, uh, on a certain level, I don't really care. I am fine for the majority or even all of my meaningfulness here in this universe to be a projection of other people projecting that into me, and I promise I will keep projecting that meaning onto you. If we've got nothing else, we've got each other. No matter how marketized or mechanized or capitalized the world becomes, we humans together are the soul in the machine. because one of her songs, Let Them Have the Internet, was based on the very first Team Human monologue. The idea was that we built the net as this safe space for the counterculture, but then the banks and the corporations all migrated online and colonized the whole thing. So if they're online, we can just retake the real world and let them have the internet. Anyway, I started listening to her stuff and became quite a fanboy of her music, her approach to creation, and the love of life that exudes from everything she does. I'm delighted to bring her into the Team Human family. Actually, she (laughs) was part of the Team Human family long before my invitation. And I hope you find what she's doing as inspiring as I do. Celebrating the release of her latest album, Acts of Rebellion, here's Ella Minus.
1: So I always think these headphones are like the best for
0: for just talking. Yeah, I should do that too. But your voice uh, I sounds don't. great
1: with that one. Why with that microphone? Yeah.
0: Well, because then I can move I'd be able to <laughs> move around.
1: <laughs> it's very important. Well, but, but you have a stand. The thing is, I don't have a stand. So I have to like hold it in my hand.
0: Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. I know. You, I see you doing that while you're playing. <laughs> I was looking at your, what is this, that January 6th, that show in your oh, house, yeah. where you've got the two, uh, uh, the list, two messages on your yeah. keyboards. I forgot. It was like, I'm sad, I'm happy. No, <laughs> I'm sad, I'm happy.
1: <laughs> that's the message i love it i'm sad no i'm happy and then again no i'm sad and then on the other side what am i or who am i what am i
0: doing here No, it said bright bright music uh dark time yes that's what it said almost yeah, the same yeah. as i think i love it I'm- but you started your your samples whatever they are and you've got the microphone hanging over your shoulder with the thing and then you whip it out to sing it to it and throw it back dude it's funny (laughs)
1: well it's just i i used to have a stand but it's so much more work because then i have to go all the way to whatever the stand is and then come back and i like would drop it and it's just i just figured yeah. I mean, I didn't think about it. I just started doing it, so I've never had a need to buy a stand. So whenever I'm doing interviews, and I'm like, yeah, and then it's there's all this sound of my clothes moving, and it's not, yeah.
0: Uh,
1: but it'll be cool for you. You can just leave it here and talk. Also,
0: I know. Yeah. Well, I could. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'll be my new style. <laughs> I'll work on it, but not today. Oh. Not with this mic either. I got to use a yeah. uh, a handheld for that. Yeah. So, yay. So, so I was so, I was, it was funny because you said it in your email, but it's what I was going to write to you. I'm so glad that you exist.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Honestly, um, I'm going to try my best to like not fan out or like not be a fangirl, but you have no idea. This is Uh, like a a very surreal experience for me because I've read you for uh, so long and I have been such a fan for so long that it's all very surreal
0: honestly. Oh, cool. Well, for me too, it's, that's the whole team human thing. It's getting people together who are fans of each other. <laughs> you know, that's a beautiful goal, it's, right? It's, to make all people fans of one another.
1: Gorgeous. I get goosebumps. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 well, when we first emailed, it was um, the good thing. It was because I saw you took this um, line from, it was this monologue I'd done where I was decided not to be upset anymore you know because the corporations came and took our beautiful burning man psychedelic internet right and turned it into the facebook bitcoin nightmare (laughs) and then i thought you know they've all gone online all the banks have gone online the world economic forum and the politicians fine let's take back the real world you know and Part of that was like let them have the internet, and then you went and did this song, this gorgeous song. Let them have the internet on your uh, your Acts of Rebellion record. Yeah. Can I call it yeah, record? Of course.
1: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> or album, or whatever you want. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I actually have the original. I was going to say I sampled your entire monologue, and I actually wrote the song around it.
0: I no longer feel so bad about the fact that our internet has been colonized by these corporations and banks because they've left the real world behind. the looking, the touching, the five people sitting in a room and conspiring and breathing together.
1: But I did that with the record where I would sample things and then write the music around it and then take the sample off. So the intention was still there.
0: Yeah. No, it's beautiful. I mean, only a few people have actually tried to, you know, take what I've done or said and made it musical. But, <laughs> you know, that's my whole background, I know, you know, was yeah. music, musical theater and stuff. And all this work is just an excuse to perform, I think. <laughs> you think? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I
1: mean, it's Maybe. a performance in its own way, I think. Yeah. And a very important one because, you know, because it's important. And, and it's still art, everything you've done and, and written it's just a bit, and performing. You know, it's still a performance art, I think, to write, especially when you're paying so much attention to the world and putting that into a physical thing
0: that yeah. exists. I know it's harder, you know, to do it the way the way we do it. You know, whether it's me doing – Whatever this is, polemic as art or you doing art as polemic, you know? It's hard because um, and you can hear it in all of your work, you bring your heart into it, you know, and it makes it much more vulnerable. Much more there's way more tears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, way more.
1: <laughs> but what what would anything be without tears, right?
0: Yeah. Anything worth it. That's true. I gotta stop stop seeing them as bad, right? Well, They're not yeah.
1: It's hard. I I understand. It's hard to not see them as bad, but, but also can you think of anything that you like or that has made you feel things in, in your existence that haven't, uh, that haven't involved tears? I don't know if I pronounced that right, but whatever.
0: Yeah. I know what you mean. Or at least there's got to be risk of tears yes, right on the edge, exactly. right on the edge exactly. of it.
1: <laughs> Hold them back. But yeah, yeah,
0: it's, yeah, it's everything. It works. It works. So it's funny. There's so many different things I want to talk about with you, but let's start with this just because it's the latest big thing. The, let's start with Acts of Rebellion, the album itself, which is um, you think when you hear Acts of Rebellion, it's going to be like, ah! <laughs> you know, I'm rebelling against you, no. <laughs> but it's not. It's a subtler, it's a subtler kind of rebellion, you know. Well, it's your lyric. They told us it was hard, but they were wrong. You know, they told us it was hard, but they were wrong. And that's, that's your way. That's your version. I think of, of my kind of find the others that we can be accessible to each the, the weirdos, the the weird people who live in the liminal places and have strange thoughts, we can find each other. And it's not that bad. It's not that hard to recognize them. And fi- they acted like we're going to not, Oh, you're going to be alone your whole life. You're going <laughs> to be weird. you're <laughs> <laughs> going to be crying
1: in a corner of a dark room forever. Yeah. Right, but we're here. We're out.
0: There's other ones. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> that that uh, whole thing of that you I mean you're find the others also like I said since there's so much art that makes you like so many other people that make you feel like you belong somewhere even if you don't know them by their just existing and what they do and you connect in such a way that you're like I'm not alone. And I think that's the best type of art really but then you said it literally find the others and I was like oh yes he's so right there's something about also being being good at communicating and putting you know titles and and like good words into concepts that right that change everything so yeah find the others and here we are we we found it
0: and here we are I know because you know and I see the videos of you doing your work and you're a solo artist yeah Right? Do you ever go out with a band or something? You don't? No,
1: well, I came, I come from that background. So I grew up playing drums on punk bands, well, on a punk band throughout my entire teenage years since we, I started a band with my like best friends from primary school, I guess when Uh we were like 11 and then we, Uh we stayed with that band until um, we were 19 and we all like wanted to go to college. And actually we would have stayed together, but only two of us got into the college we wanted. And then the (laughs) other didn't. And I was like, fuck college. I'm not going to school. I'll keep the band. But then the other guy was like, fuck you guys. I'm going (laughs) to school.
0: Right. So the other guy got into Berkeley also.
1: Yeah, he did.
0: So, you and yeah, he, he went he, all the way to Boston?
1: Yes. And that's where I moved to the States and uh, went to uh, Berkeley and lived in Boston. And again, there was, it was all my experience of music and, and life and art was always uh, a group thing, always bands. And in Berkeley it was jazz ensembles. And, and then I made more bands and it was always a, a communal thing. But then I actually didn't want to do this solo project as a, I wasn't like, I'm going to do this by myself. I was just yeah. bored one day. Well, not like for a, period of time and I was turning 25 and I was like what am I doing with my life and this can't be it you know I was happy but I was like yeah what now like I can't and and so this solo project was sort of an experiment like I've never done anything on my own and I've I think so much about community and as a drummer too it's so interesting because you're always supporting others it's not about you it's about like what you can do for other people and I love that but it was just like what can I do by myself now and it's been I don't think I've ever connected more with other humans as I have doing this thing by myself. It's been really interesting.
0: It is interesting that, you know, I think about it because, you know, when I see the pictures of you in the apartment, just making the music, it reminds me of what it's like for me being a writer, you know, and I did the writing. I wanted to connect to people and all that. But then I end up sitting in here alone so many hours, you know, and it's. It's really, and then, you know, and then I say, I'm not going to do another book. I'm not doing it again. I can't do it. And then some other book thing, like I'm doing <laughs> another fucking book again. But I keep telling myself, I because it, it's painful, it's like I, I almost have to strap my wrists to the desk and don't leave and don't party and don't.
1: Yeah, you know. it's, it's, I, I understand that I'm actually kind of going through the same thing right now because I'm thinking of making the Sancon album. And I'm like, maybe, you know, I'm in Mexico right now and I only came here for a week to make a video, but my best friend from, from preschool too. I apparently have a lot of friends that I've had forever, <laughs> now that I say it out loud, but you know, obviously we've been locked down. I haven't really seen friends in so long and I came here and I saw her and I was like, this is amazing, this is life again. And I, my friend, my other friend borrowed this apartment and it's like sunny here. And I've been thinking, well, like maybe I can stay here and, and right here and see my friend and like go out to dinner every once in a while. But I've been here for three weeks and I have not been able to write one song. So in my mind, I'm like, maybe that's, you know, what you were saying, like the that experience of being alone and tie, tying your wrist to the desk and, like, not going out, and that is the only way. But I've also found that find, having friends that understand that and do the same helps, even if you only talk about it and, like, I understand what you're saying, yeah. and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it's the only way to do it. I think that helps a lot.
0: Yeah, and, like, you know, you go in and out, so... Yeah, you'll be alone for a few months and then work on something and then come out. <laughs> and when you're out with other people, you can't feel bad about not getting the work done because that's the other. You're feeding and you're germinating ideas and
1: yeah, you know. It's I decide
0: exactly it cycles. You know, people always ask me how do you deal with writer's block, and I was like, by not believing in it. There's not. <laughs> there's times I'm writing and times I I'm not that. writing. You know.
1: I love that by right. not believing in it.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm just not writing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you doing bot. something else. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like a constipation or something. It's not like there's some piece <laughs> of poop sitting there that needs to come out. It's like,
1: no, it's. Yeah, it will eventually. It will. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah.
0: right, not giving birth to babies all the time, right? You got to. To, you know make the baby you got to grow it you know it's of like of course you have to do alone. a bunch
1: of other things exactly and also <laughs> why be patient with existence you know yeah you should tell that person that also.
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny that about loneliness you know you've got i'm sure people have commented on it you know this song in the uh it's in the new record I forgot what it's called. Uh, um, Dominique, Dominique, probably. Yeah, yeah. Dominique. It <laughs> she starts like, I woke up at 7 p.m. <laughs> My brain feels like it's going to break. I haven't seen anyone in a couple of days. And I'm thinking, you know, and then you say, like, I'm afraid I forgot um, <laughs> I
1: something. Afraid-
0: I forgot to talk to anyone <laughs> that's not myself. And I was like, oh, this is a COVID song. And it's like written before COVID happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Today. I woke up at 7pm My brain Feels like it's going to break
0: get it on YouTube for free. There's a, a, a video. If you just t- search uh, Ella Minus Dominique, you'll see this video. And it's, her, it's a start of a performance. It's got other stuff in it, but it starts out with her alone in her apartment, obviously during COVID. And she starts some beats and then she starts singing those lyrics and you think, oh my God, it's this impromptu, improvised COVID isolation music concert. And it's like, no, this is the actual song from the record.
1: Yeah. Written in 2018 with, like, no idea of COVID. It was literally my... I actually hated the song because it was the only, like, diaristic... Well, not the on, You know, obviously everything one does diaristic. Yeah, is what's but, not? Yeah. You know, yeah. But, like, literal. You know, like, I woke up at this time and I I hated it because I was like, this is a typical artist song I would hate. Right. Because, like, nobody else that's not an artist is going to be able to understand what... I'm talking about. They're just going to think I'm weird. You know, they're going to think like, oh, you know, Porella, like she clearly doesn't have any friends and like she's, you know, going crazy making this record. And that's like what my friends that I show the song to would say. They're like, oh, and I'm like, no, guys, I'm fine. This is just <laughs> the song, you know, and and it's funny how I almost left that out of the record because of that. I was like, I'm not interested in making music that non-artist people are going to be able to, aren't going to be able to relate to. So, so fuck this song. I'm going to leave it out. And then... Yeah. I don't even know why i why I decided to leave it in I probably didn't have more songs or something honestly very <laughs> not profound and I left it and then I've been like I mean also with the entire record with the theme and the title coming out in twenty twenty after you know so so many people finally nothing changed people just had time to pay attention, but I think it really made a I'm like, you know, in how much the context made a difference. It, like, exactly as it did with that song. So many people were able to relate only because of COVID.
0: Well, because most people don't isolate themselves in the same way. Yeah. You know, as an, art, an artist sometimes has to. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I only laugh because I'm like, I, can't, I really can't believe. Like, if, what were the chances of, like, like the entire world going through that experience before I wrote that song yeah. two, years, two years prior?
0: But it's important, you know, because... You realize, though, there's a, a level of experience that people are having now in COVID, which is valuable, too. It's this forced, monastic isolation, you know, that – that what what did you do with your COVID time? I was telling this yeah. to my daughter. Like, you know, she's all upset. She's in high school. And I said, boy, I bet, you know – on your college application, they might ask you, "What did you do with your COVID time?" Wow, oh, right? you're
1: right. Yeah, you know,
0: one kid cures cancer, someone else writes an <laughs> opera. What did you do? Well, I watched more Netflix. <laughs> That's so true. It's
1: so true. That might actually also be like a another wave of. I feel like people have have been going to therapy way more than they've ever had now. Yeah, and and I think that. Like anxiety caused by the question, what did you do with your COVID time might be like a a second wave for people that don't watch
0: Netflix. People having the guilt that they didn't accomplish anything. I wrote six books and nine (laughs) albums. And yeah. the, The other thing about your lyrics, though, is and I mean this in a good way, is it sounds like you're making them up as you go along. (laughs) <laughs> on a certain level Do you know what uh, I mean? The,
1: yeah, yeah I am actually <laughs> So it's great I love I love that you picked up on that
0: <laughs> But it's the same You can repeat the song though And you get the same lyrics So
1: Yeah You made it up it, once Exactly That's <laughs> Exactly Sometimes I forget And I make them up again On the way When I'm playing right. them live I'm like What was But but yeah Originally uh, You know I'm like uh, Kind of the same I I think we have a, a very similar background I come from a punk background And then I play jazz and like studied jazz for many years so for me music has been always about and again i can go back to your monologue about that presence in a room together with other humans that only happens there and then you you know you leave the room and that energy disappears and like you hold this sensation close to your heart and i i grew up playing live shows and like sweaty really dirty uh, small clubs in colombia where you know it was all about that connection and like my band didn't record that much music and we just played every single weekend and I I mean still that like most people you know this was 15 years ago and like every time I go back to Colombia people remind like they listen to my music now only because of those years and I'm always amazed at the, you know the power of of live music and live performance and and so my approach to music always comes from that so I improvise live uh, with the synthesizers and sometimes I'll go back home after a show and I'll be like oh I, I you know I saved this that I improvised at night and I keep improvising at home and then just whatever comes out lyric wise sometimes I'll go back and I'll be like okay I think this is the kernel of the idea that I improvised but I, I can probably say this better and I like work on it but it always starts improvising
0: right I mean and you could do it alone because of loops I guess
1: yeah yeah well there you know it's everything's uh midi well not everything but you know I have a midi sequencer an mpc so I don't use any laptops as I, you probably picked up on.
0: Yeah, I tried it with, with laptops and it was always bad. I tried yeah. using like reason and those things, but then they sound, it starts to sound really thin for some reason. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, they're laptops. They're like yeah. not, you know, it's like, God bless, but they're laptops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're not the same. You know, I, I do believe a lot in like the intention of intention. Period. That's a yeah. that phrase in itself. <laughs> and like the, the, you know, when you make something, especially a, an object designed to make other things like a laptop or like an instrument, then the intention that whoever is designing them has, I really believe it makes a difference. And so yeah. a laptop is not, you know, probably someone somewhere was like thinking of someone making music you know when they program Reason. but that's about it like laptops don't, don't inspire me to make music they inspire me to do other things so I started right. getting into physical synthesizers and I have this M- Akai MPC which is like a, an old sampler but it's also a MIDI sequencer so I play my song <laughs> on the MPC and record the MIDI and then I I would loop that and keep improvising over it and and I'll do that for every section of of the
0: song yeah, it's funny i mean i used to have all these analog synthesizers and then eventually got whatever the digital thing dx7 whatever it was back then the yamaha something and uh something was different for me about it i mean i'm wondering if you i mean you're a person with such soul right such heart such physical realized you know you're you're in space and you wouldn't normally think of somebody as embodied as you going into digital music as opposed <laughs> to having a, a lute and a leather ba- drum and a, you know, you would think it'd just be like organic sounds, yeah. but your synthesizers don't sound so digital to me. They sound, I mean, and maybe are they, are they like making sine waves and sawtooth waves like old analog synths? They yeah, are.
1: Yeah. they are. Yeah, they are old analog synths for the most part. The only polyphonic synth I have is a Juno, which is also old. Yeah, everything is analog. And I, you know, again, I'll go back to the intention thing, because my main intention when I started this project, which I never thought, you know, it was a game for me. It was like a very personal game. I was like, how can I make electronic music more human? Because Mm. I was frustrated of going to shows, you know, I love the sound of synths, so much and the aesthetic of synthetic sound and and what electricity can do and it precisely the opposite of what you said with laptops it's so thick and also the spectrum is so much bigger so I love it but then I started getting like not even frustrated let's be honest heartbroken at electronic shows because you know because they sounded like soulless and cold and I wasn't feeling anything and I saw the potential of What could be made, and I wasn't hearing it from anybody else. And it's not like I thought, oh, I can make it. I was just like, maybe how can, like, maybe it's really hard, and that's why nobody else is doing it. But how can I make electronic music more human? Because it's just another new instrument. Electronic music and synthesizers aren't replacing anything. You know, there's this notion of like, you have to like try to make organic sounds. And it's like, no, it's a new thing. And how can we make this new thing human?
0: Right. Or play with it. Let it interact with humans. Like even yeah. when um, when Cher took the, uh, you know, the auto-tune and did that song. And, <laughs> and it's like, okay, at least, you know, you're not hiding. It's not Ariana hiding her pitch in a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's Cher making love inside the computer, you know, exactly. and it's like, okay, yeah. I'll go. I'll go for that. So you I, use yeah. analog, I mean, for people who don't know the difference, I mean, an analog synthesizer is uh, like transistors and electronics making waves of sound, whereas a digital synthesizer is a sample. It's like a CD playing sampled sound. So the digital sound is like, ah, 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 ah. it's, 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 you know what I mean? It's a rate of, a rate of sampling of a sound and then you can play it, which is great for recording a little bird and then you throw it into the mix, but for the sound of like your, the, the actual solid organy keyboardy sounds that come from your work, they're not digital. They're, they're solid. So it's a big fat filter. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, and it fills the spin. This is what people still don't believe. And and I feel like a weirdo even saying it like Neil Young believes it, but so few people do that. It moves the air differently. It moves the yeah. body differently.
1: It hits differently. First of all, I could not have explained the difference between digital synthesizer and an analog one better. Thank you. (laughs) From now on, I'm always going to quote you. I'm like, I was paying some attention. I was like, he's doing, I always getting such a, you know, you clearly know how to communicate better. So now from Uh, now on, I'm stealing this and sampling you to explain. Okay. Yeah, Exactly. It moves the air different. It hits your stomach and your heart different. And yeah, you know, I always go back to this uh, moment I had with my mom, actually, where she, you know, she came to a show like my first ever show. And she came back after backstage to you know say hi, but she was freaking out. She was freaking out. She was like, kept touching her stomach with her hands and being like, "What was that?" And she, I'm just, she oh. was like, "What was that?" She was like, "I've never, you know, I've, I don't remember ever feeling so like physically my stomach move as I just did." And and I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly that's what happens <laughs> when you have a bass synth. That's like a real bass synth and it just moves your stomach." And she, you know, she doesn't know. She's not a musician. She's a farmer. She's an incredible human being, but she doesn't really has she doesn't have the knowledge or the language to like to put the the things together. But she feels it, and yeah. I always go back to that.
0: Oh, that's Different. great. Yeah. yeah, it is. You know, because they could you can go to an EDM show, you know, and they can make it as loud as you want. But it's like the sound hits your bone rather than your body you know what i mean it yeah. goes right yeah. <laughs> as, <laughs> <laughs> it's like all right it's loud but you're not really you're not touching my soul here yeah, yeah but it it is different it is different so it's it's interesting you were not a raver though as a kid you weren't no an, punk an bands. EDM... yeah you were yeah. punks yeah you know which is very very live and loud and and real and then you go did you know about like music theory before you went to berkeley
1: no you didn't nothing. i almost failed like my first two semesters because i was like. But I, uh, you know, first of all, I don't know anything. But second of all, what, what, why is artistic Comedy academy, so fucked? Like you're supposed to know this shit when you get to school to learn the stuff, you know? It's like they assume you know everything and they just like test you on it. But uh. I. I, I didn't know anything.
0: <laughs> but then you did. Didn't you learn, yeah. like, about 12 tones and all those yeah. kind of things?
1: Yeah, I had to. Uh, I went through a lot of, like, like, loopholes because I was like, okay, if I need to, to learn precisely 12 tones and, like, ha- harmony and all of these things, then I should probably learn to play piano, not drums only. Because for me, right. like, I'm such a, you know, like you said, I'm a physical person. So I couldn't just imagine the things in my mind. I had to actually play them. And they were like, but you can't any. Can't take any piano lessons because you're a drum major, drum set major. I was like, come right. on, guys, you have to help me uh, here. So I found this um, really uh, this loophole in the system where you, I could register for this class called Advanced Jazz Imp- Jazz Piano Improvisation Techniques that nobody cared about because it was really hard. And I was like, and I'm gonna take this one. Uh, so I, I uh, yeah, I learned to play piano, and that's how I I taught myself really. And then I just took the tests. But yeah, but I'm actually thankful because obviously now I, you know, I write everything
0: on a keyboard. Do you find that there's, is there theory in your music? Does that come to the fore? Are you like, oh, I'm going to go to a flat, going to go to a flat fifth now and diminished seventh? (laughs) Never, (laughs) never,
1: (laughs) never, ever, ever. Sometimes I'll press the wrong key and I'm like, that sounds cool. Let's leave that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds cool. But never, I'm never like minor third or no, you know ever actually it only comes up in conversations
0: really but is it internalized on some level what you went through there
1: i think so i think you know i think more than anything i mean probably of course yeah. it's like you know your ear like uh muscle memory that's still your ear it's there I mean, it was a lot of years but i do think what i learned the most is character and just to tell you know to like feel like I what I have to say is worth something and just like mm. believe, believe in that maybe I, I think what I learned from whom I learned the most was my private drum teacher she's a a jazz drummer her name is Sterling Carrington and she like completely changed my experience of, of school and music forever because that was her entire thing you know like you have no matter how how much theory you know it doesn't do anything if you don't have your own voice if you don't have a soul that communicates something because then it's just sound, it's empty sound and that, you know, stuck with me. So it's it was like, how can I work on myself to have things to say worth it enough that I, you know, all the other stuff is language. It's like tools, like the minor, the tensions, the core. So the theory are, are tools. But if you have nothing to say, then, you know, it's nothing really.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I, it's funny. I had another percussionist on the show once, um Vinny Cal-, Cal Yoga. Do you know him? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. He played with like Zappa <laughs> yeah, and Sting yeah, me, and all these people. And we were talking about about drumming and I started to get the idea that particularly kit drummers are like they're almost like the social glue. The drummer creates the space for these interactions to happen. And he kept saying how when it happens it happens and you can't recreate this Thing. And he talks about these moments, like, oh yeah, we were with, we were in a session with Carly Simon and or Joni Mitchell and Pat Matheny and me, and this and this thing happened. And then we kept trying to redo it, and I just finally said, "We're never going to." That was it. We did it, yeah. you know. <laughs> and to think that these highly technically trained people have this living moment and inter a live interaction happen between them—that no, you can't. You can recreate it to a point, but not finally what it was. Is
1: yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. It's humbling too. Yeah, right? it's so humbling. I think for everybody, you're like it doesn't matter how you know how how much you know and how many years you spend killing yourself practicing and like you still you're it's life. You know, you yeah. feel like a baby and you you're in absolute no control or powerless when it comes to. Bigger things like um, musical moment, which is a huge thing. Yeah,
0: but it sounds like that's what you got from from that teacher. It was more than the technical of it. Was like you know how to live, uh, how to how to be present as a percussionist in the moment.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and how how to listen both to yourself and and to others. Like she, it was amazing because he was like somebody finally was again saying things that I felt, but I always thought I was wrong when I was a kid because mm. I was I was always the worst player. You know, all my bandmates were so much better than me in every aspect. And I'm everyone every time I say this, they're like, Oh no, I'm sure you're great. And I'm like, I'm not honestly not being humble. Actually I was (laughs) worse. Yeah, actually I really was. And and you know, I got to Berkeley where everybody was trying to be the best and I was still the worst. You know, I was trying so hard to be better, obviously, because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And but in my mind I was like, But my stomach didn't feel right. I, I always think I'm for better or for worse. I'm those type of people that if I don't, if my heart isn't in something, I just, I can't do it. You know, I can try, but it's going to suck. So I was trying to be that drummer, to be the best musician I could, and I just couldn't get better. And I think she saw that frustration in me and she was like, listen, you know, you can do something different and you can listen more than those guys that are, you know, trying to show all the time that they're the best. So how, how can you, turn that listening and that, like, presence and that into into music and into serving others to make what they, you know, it's it's a beautiful way of thinking about it, I think.
0: Yeah, well, especially for drummers, you yeah. know, and I always think about, you know, people like Ringo, who they always give him a hard time, you know, and Ringo's beautiful. He was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. drummer, you know? Yeah. He was the only drummer I know who followed the band rather than leading the band, but that was beautiful too. He's, he's. It's not that he's late; it's that he's just giving room and giving room, and then whenever he does get a solo, and he just kind of tumbles around. It's like they, <laughs> they called it the the falling down the stairs style of Ringo Starr, but it's perfect. He falls down the stairs, but he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> he, he loves it. He's perfect. Uh, yeah, He's I perfect. love
1: him. I love him, and who's a bigger band than the Beatles, right? And who write right. who wrote better songs? It's like that's what everybody should care about
0: the song, yeah, and the music. Yeah, that it worked. That it <laughs> yeah. worked. But it's funny. You talk about listening. I was going to ask you about the the difference between studio and live in your work. So I was I was doing a little compare and contrast between the live. You did a live version of uh, "Porch Song Jamaica," yeah, for these guys like you're on the floor I think in this yeah. one and which is really sweet and then there's the recorded version of it so when you do it live you, know, you can see you doing it. you know you lay down like a sound i guess into the sam into the sequencer or something you lay something yeah. In there, and then you like listen to it a while and then lay in the next thing. So when you're listening to what you just did, it's a little bit like you're listening now to another, like to another performer. <laughs> do you, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I do. Actually. <laughs> so you yeah. change roles. It's like, okay, what did she mean here? How do I help her? Oh, now I'll do this. And then that's God, and then you listen to her. <laughs> yeah. in the live in the live version of it because you can see you're gonna build onto it but then it sounds similar to but not the same yeah, as the I real mean, one you know
1: <laughs> yeah. it's a, again you put it in in, in better words that I could but I'm gonna try my best you know for for a while again I grew up and like built my life and my identity and everything around being a a player like I don't care about recording like you know this also in my generation there was this thing where laptops were becoming like a a, we all start I didn't grow up owning a laptop but I got my first laptop when I was like I don't know maybe 16 or something like and and I was like Mm. oh my god I can make anything now but I I already had a band, and I had already been you know making things in a different way, but so we grew up with this like sense like this sense that we had to do as artists, everything like we have to learn how to produce, we have to learn how to record, and I was like, well, I don't want to do that, I only want to play drums like i don't you know somebody else should do that. It's like such a different art form and such a different part of your brain when you're listening back and like you said, like thinking like what does she mean here, and like how does this <laughs> translate into into waveforms that are digital and are like... I was never interested in that. It feels immature in a way that we're treating them as the same art. Like, come mm. on, guys. I feel like in 50 years, people are going to be like, can you believe that drummers had to learn how to record? That's crazy. Like, there should be a different
0: school a different everything for yeah but there'll be just as many people saying do you know drummers today they don't even have to learn how to record (laughs) 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 the kids today
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think that's what what's happening now I feel like that kid actually they were like oh my god you're a drummer that doesn't know how to record and I was like come on guys like anyway so that's what I wanted to do but then I you know I, I started doing this electronic thing and I loved it live That's what, all I wanted to do was play live. Mm. But then I was like, well, I guess, you know, I guess people need to hear the songs in their house for them to go to the show. And people need to, (laughs) you know, bookers need to know that I, you know, hear a song to be able to know what they're
0: booking. Right. And you got to have merch. You got to have merch to sell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I was like, honestly, it was just a, a very practical thing. I was like, I guess yeah. I have to learn how to record so I can go and play the shows. And and it was interesting because I was like the same thought process. Like, how can I make this my own? Because I know I'm not going to be the best at recording. Like, because I, mm. I don't care. So how do I make this special? So I started doing all these experiments of like, I'm not going to do a multi-track. I'm only going to do the stereo out and I'm going to play it live. A million times and then i'll choose the best take wow so like my first ep like the jamaica is i recorded it like that except for the vocals because i was not a singer i'm not still not a singer obviously mm. so i was really out of tune and he was like maybe i'll do the you know that's the only thing i did over dubs. but i yeah i did um the stereo and then i started feeling like even though it didn't sound as pro or as big it was still like interesting it felt different because of the analog scenes because i wasn't doing anything in the laptop except like recording in yeah so uh, through the years and i think uh, obviously the best job i've done so far has been the record that i did completely in my apartment by myself and now people are like (laughs) like oh you finally got a producer i was like no i didn't i just (laughs) got better with time (laughs) what i was obsessed with for years was like how can i blend the two worlds together you know the live world with the recorded world and like bring them as close as possible because people were even more before going to my shows and loving them but then they went to spotify or whatever and they're like this doesn't sound at all like what she played mm. and i kept getting those comments and people were like you're a great life but and mm. so i was like okay i guess i have to <laughs> get better i was like this is another challenge how can i like make it seem similar so i still play live but it's freer in in the live performance i try to be more concise in the recordings and like i edit myself like i you know play shorter things and i, I already have played the song many times live when i'm recording them so i'm already like going like fast forward like okay i already know this is what's going to happen now so it's just cut to the chase right but still even even though i try to play them similar to the record every time i play live i just like i lose myself so i'm like improvising and the song lasts longer and then I throw in more samples of stuff that's not recorded
0: but it's cool because in the recorded ones you can cheat though you know I mean, not cheat, but you know what I mean? It's like in a live because I played some with um with uh, Psychic TV, Genesis Peorage, trying to do keyboards. And I ended up with like three keyboards and my laptop, but still there's, and there's like the seventh <laughs> sound. And it's like, how am I gonna get that other sound? It's like, can I get a pedal to switch this? Cause I got my hands are occupied or hit my, my nose and you know, trying to plan out how to get the sounds all in there. If you're recording. You could just kind of stop and lay it in later or do something. But for you, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like the limitation of – but you do – you seem so relaxed about – I guess because you're just experienced with it. You're so relaxed. You're not like, oh, how am I going to – I'm going to have to find a new sample to get it in there. And it's just, yeah. everything's there.
1: Well, yeah. But it, it's interesting you mentioned your own experience because that's actually something that I experienced as a drummer. You know, people were every time more and more adding more and more stuff, layers and layers of stuff to the recording versions because there were no limits. And, right. you know, so they're like, oh, well, this sounds bad. So let's add like four other synths. And then every time I was getting hired as a drummer for tours and stuff, and they would like send me this like gigs and gigs of samples for me to like put on those sampler things and they're like vocals recordings and i'm like how i don't have enough hands for this plus the beat you know so why and in my mind again i was like this doesn't make any sense because people are like doing it the other way i think you know from when you again come from punk and jazz you're like the band is four players and each one has an instrument and that's it that's like what you record. What the band can play live is what you record. You're trying to record yeah. this moment in time of these people making this thing, and and when you do it the other way, when you're recording and and just adding and adding and adding, it's fine if you only want to be a, a recording artist. But once you you know you you try to translate that to the live, it's like well get ten players because there's ten tracks. But it's right. so so again for for me on this project, I was like that's actually. One of the reasons why I named the album Acts of Rebellion, because going back to that, because I yeah. re- realized, ironically, is it was a very, very personal title for me, because I realized most of my life I've done things only because people were doing the opposite, which was kind of embarrassing to... to like see that on myself. It's but... great
0: though, because it brings a continuity to the work, though you know, which makes it sound more. I mean, not not in in style, but it's like um, I think about like Emerson Lake and Palmer or something with one guy with like he's got maybe a rack of synths, but he has to play them all himself, you know, or Alan Parsons Project or somebody compared with, you know, Trent Reznor, who, you know, is going into a barn and has 36 (laughs) tracks and he's going to fill every single one of them with 36 other tracks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing what he does. It's just, it's a different thing. It's not.
1: Exactly. And I was obsessed with that. You know, I was like, how can I, only like I'm only gonna use the synth I have. I'm not gonna overdub anything I can't play, and that's when I when <laughs> I play, I'm so relaxed because I'm like I already did this. I just like the stereo out was going into my laptop, and now the stereo out is going into a PA. But I already did this right. exactly the same, and I'm I'm I never record things that I I can't play live. Like I just know, and I have one bass synth, and that's the synth I use for all basses always forever. I have one one melody synth, and I I see it as a band. I'm like. You know, these are my bandmates. Mm. I'm like, I'm not going to, like, hire another bass player for this song. Fuck that. It's like, you. No, it's your it. family. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why I'm, like, relaxed. Because I already, you know, that's everything that I recorded is in there. So I just have to
0: yeah. play it again. I know. That's why I stick with the with the 26 letters of the alphabet when I write my books. I haven't brought in any others. It's, these ones... It's all that good. Must take,
1: that must take so much <laughs> so much commitment for you to do that, you know? Oh, all... <laughs> it's a weight
0: off my shoulders. I don't have to worry about learning new letters. It's all good. <laughs> so do you stay alive completely from music now?
1: Uh yeah, surprisingly. I, I mean I was incredibly lucky that the you know I was I was staying alive completely out of live shows, but also because I was touring a lot as a drummer. And that actually brought in kind of more money because I didn't have expenses when you do that. But it was not like, you know, for the past five years, I haven't stopped touring for a second. And then, like, you know, I I do feel very lucky of the coincidence that I signed for the first time a record deal with a a label for this record after it was done. They like, you know, they they heard it and they're like, we want to sign it and I got the advance right before covid. <laughs> so lucky me, I got that that extra, I guess money for me to not be able to to be able to survive without shows happening for
0: the past year. What's the difference for a musician for to have a label and not these days?
1: In my opinion, I yeah. just have more f- <laughs> more friends now to be honest i just (laughs) i just (laughs) i just get to meet these cool people that are my friends now and i get to work with them and talk with them every day right and that's the only reason why i signed because i was i never wanted to work with a label i was like i don't see the point like you i was like what is the real difference in this i don't get it
0: well these days because they make you do your own promotion they do your own you do your own distribution you do your own tour it's like what are they if they give you cash i guess that's good you yeah, know, no. I mean,
1: well, mine does my distribution and my promo, and oh like they they do. actually, yeah, they do. It's a it's a big one, I guess, one of the biggest indie ones. But they do a lot. To be honest, like even before I signed, I was like, let's go and meet meet them, you know. And it was a very organic thing because one of my closest friends really wanted to work with me, and she was an A and R at a different label. But then she got tired of labels, but loved my record, and she was like, I'm gonna find the label to work on so I can sign mm-hmm. you, so we can work on this together. So you know, it was already like a very friendly thing and like a community thing for me. And then I went in and met the other friends <laughs> that are my friends, now. the other people that were at the label for the first meeting. I sat down and I was like, I honestly don't care what the deal is. If I get to work with these people and make things with them, I, I want to do it because I just felt that in my stomach, I was like, these are good humans like me and they're yeah. weirdos and they, they're going to understand what I want to do. So whatever the deal is, I'm just going to sign. But yeah. after, you know, it's been a, a year and the record came out and all of this and I actually, you know, I, I, I've i seen and they do they do a lot. I don't think my record would have gotten to a lot of people if it wasn't because I'm working with them. It's been interesting.
0: And then now you're making another one that you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm trying. Yeah. I want to. I'm not trying. I want to. I really want to. That's more than anything, what is
0: happening. It's hard to know. How do I even say it? Your music is such that the mood I'm in when I listen to the music is reflected back by the music. So if I'm pissed off, your music (laughs) sounds mad to me. If I'm dreamy, the music sounds dreamy. And most of the time, the music just sounds kind of uh, creative but alone, which is... The main way that I am, <laughs> creative but alone, which is fine. But, but uh, I wonder, it's hard to tell from your music how you feel about our fate as like a species, you know, team human and all. And I understand what you want for us because you want so much of the same things that I want people to connect and just fucking get over their bullshit and realize, you know, we are all we have and the weird liminal space between us and the misunderstandings are the understandings and all that. I get that from your work. But I can't tell whether I should be hopeful or not about our future.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, I think... A lot about that. And I think we have no choice but to be hopeful. And I hope that's what I'm trying to, to transmit. I think, I think if we lose hope, we should just die, kind of, you know, like, what's the point if you really don't believe in anything, or like, don't believe that, you know, that all the things we want can happen then what's the point? And I, I think in, in my, you know, my personality is is one of those that every time I see a problem, like my brain instantly goes and like, I laugh and I'm like, how do I fix this? Even if it's like mm. the worst, you know, if it's a huge and actually the bigger the problem, the more I'm like instantly, like I, my brain or my heart don't even, not that it's wasting time at all, but you know, like I'll get sad later, but first I'm like, how do I, what's next, like how, you know, I'm trying to put as much as my, of myself in what I make. And so I hope I'm transmitting hope basically, but like active hope, you know, actually there's this sample I've been using by, I just took a a piece of Greta Thunberg's, one of Greta Thunberg's speeches that she's like, you talk about hope and she's like, of course we need hope, but first we need action. And then hope comes. Like when you actually start acting and doing things differently and, you know, changing yourself then you start seeing the hope because you you realize it's possible and i think that i've been using that sample so much because it's like it's exactly what i I wish to transmit with it
0: yeah i mean that's why i was happy by what you picked from my work that one line about let them have the internet because there's a defiant hope in that too there's a fuck you in it you know but it is it is? It's act of rebellion, yeah. you know. But it's not just rebellion; it's an act of rebellion. And in in the action of rebellion comes the new hope. Comes not to get like Star Wars, no. but yeah. <laughs> well, comes <I> actually, <laughs>
1: never seen Star Wars, so I don't get the reference. Yeah, but it's yeah. one of
0: their titles, something new hope and rebellion and all those kind of words. I, I love but, it. That's
1: exactly but... it. Act. Sorry, you were, I'm just getting excited because you got
0: it first. No, but yeah, but that's what I liked about it, and I was like, you know, I, I like launching those sorts of memes rather than ones that that are, are that end with themselves. Ones that say, you know, there's good in that bad. You know, oh, they took our internet, they took our internet. Oh, I'm going to be so sad. But it's like, oh, fine, fuck it. They're in the internet. Let's pull the plug and. Let's go party in the desert, right? Because <laughs> <Exactly. You know? laughs> they're gone. Yeah, they're, exactly. The banks are online. Exactly.
1: It's also why I've loved and connected so much always to your work, because I feel it's like this, you know, this analysis and this representation of everything that's fucked straight in my face. You know, I read the book and I'm like, I'm understanding everything that's fucked, but at the same time, I'm giving given solutions and hope and like the other side and you know, the the I think it's so important always to see the the darkness, be able to understand that it exists and then laugh and, and go, you know, defy it and rebel against it. That's like yeah. the real, the real hope lies there.
0: Were you a psychedelic person?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I'm still am a little bit. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it never goes. I always tell people, you you know, they ask me like, well, how long do, how long does it take to you come down, you know, off acid? And I'm like, you, you actually don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't, you just get used to it. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I relate to that. Yeah.
0: It's not a bad thing.
1: No, yeah. it's not. The first, I, obvi- not obviously, but you know, I laugh about it now, but I was a straight edge when I was a kid. Cause you know, it's in that world. So I didn't drink or do any drugs when I was a teenager, but really fast. Like when I was like 20 or something, I decided that ayahuasca was going to be the first experience I had. Like wow. not, not ever being drunk, not ever being, you know, high on anything else. And, and so I think that, um, yeah, that's the path I started on.
0: <laughs> wow. And that was like in Colombia with a real shaman in the yeah. jungle.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in the mountains. It was a shaman that traveled from the jungle like once a year. And you still have to go like, it's still like a four-hour drive to a very high up mountain. It's very cold. But yeah, it was in there.
0: Yeah, but at least that's contextual as opposed to, you know,
1: yeah. and and doing I'm it Colombian. in a parking
0: lot. Right. Yeah, in yeah. Colombia. <laughs>
1: yeah. to, to add a little bit more context to that.
0: Right. Did you tell your mother you were going to go do it?
1: No, no. Actually, I, felt, I felt bad about that part. A big part, you know, a big part of my first of that first experience was like, I'm going to die. And this is how my mom is going to find me. You know, oh. I told her, I was like, yeah, just not get dark in there. But I was like, I can't believe I didn't tell her. And I'm definitely dying here. And she's, it, yeah.
0: One thing, you know, not to be sad, not to be, not to end, end this on sadness, but, you know, um, when I first reached out with the email and we were talking about getting together or doing a show, you had said that um, a friend of yours had just uh, died of cancer.
1: Yeah. it's Yeah. yeah.
0: And she- I was wondering if you wanted to share anything about that. Because, you know, I had had a friend die just at the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The same moment. It was crazy for me also to read your email on that moment. So I was like, wow, this is a, it's interesting. I, you know, she was essentially the, this I considered her to be like my, First mother. I feel like mm. I have two mothers because my mom was, uh, but she was also, I guess she's also a psychedelic person. She was like partying a lot, and you know, I'm not, uh I don't hold it against it, but she was not really around when we were, gro- my brother and I were growing up. Mm. And I, I had this like, she was like a maid, nanny sort of, you know, presence that lived with us. And she was like this beautiful black woman that I considered to be raised by her because she, you know, she was always the one that was there. And it was mm. her who died, and I, you know, it's, uh, we we became friends obviously after because she'd stopped working at my house when I was like 10 years old, but I still yeah. kept this connection with her. And it was so hard also to see, you know, because she was a lung cancer and I couldn't see her for the past year, mm. uh, obviously. So it was, I and mean, it just happened really fast. She was supposed to be fine and then like three days, like got into the hospital and then she was gone. But, you know, the, the, she was the, like probably the, happiest and most joyful person i've ever met and she had real problems you know like mm. not not like our problems or like my problems i every time i talked to her i was like shit this is she's living in colombia in like a very marginal place and she has cancer and she's like always happy and it's never a problem and she's always laughing and she's always there for you and and i thought a lot about what love means when mm. she passed away and like what because she taught me so much about that i was like it's just you know being there for your fellow humans and
0: yeah, I don't know. No, it's interesting. It puts it, it, the way that puts things in a different perspective. Of, uh, I mean, well, here in the states, we call them, you know, w- w- you know, white people's problems. You know, and we, we think, oh gosh, I'm worried about that. My book's on the wrong publisher. They, <laughs> you know, there's a misprint on page thirty-six. God damn it, I can't sleep tonight. It's like, all right, you know, you could really sh- shut up. Um, yeah, yeah, but no. Around that time was when um, Genesis Peorage. Um, Diogenesis, Briar, Peorage, my uh, friend and musical partner.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. Was well, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and their music, it, in some ways, your music reminded me of theirs. The way your lyrics come come through, you know, and either right on top of it or come up from under the music. You know, it's it's hard to describe. That's a whole other thing. You know, the the lyrics and music relates in a way like uh, I know it from comics, from the the dialogue to the pictures and Thank you can yeah. have them coordinate or you can have them contrast and the meaning somehow comes in the dynamic between the two. There's a third character, you know, that's that's between the two. And your lyrics do that cuz they they sometimes they ride they kind of surf above the music. Sometimes they're in the music. And sometimes <laughs> they come up from under the music somehow. And it's like, it's really fun. It's really fun. But Genesis did that. That's what, what Genesis purge did, was these sometimes sometimes they'd come with these poems that just like narration on top of the music. And sometimes it's like from right under it, like we're responding to the lyric. And I heard that that variation in, in, that, in that. And sometimes in the same song, you'll switch. You yeah. know you. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, yeah.
1: But it's it's amazing that you say that because you know I I listen to their music a lot, so yeah. that's probably a direct influence in there that I've never noticed until you pointed it out. And the comic comic analogy was perfect. I was like, oh my god, I, I hear it. Uh, yeah. But I mean, their music was a huge influence. My sister actually showed showed it to me and I many years ago, and I was like, first I didn't get it because I was too young, I think, or I don't know. But but then I was like, fuck. <laughs> This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it means yeah. a lot. I hope I can keep some of some of it alive on what I'm making.
0: Yeah, I think you are. I want to play uh, porch Song Jamaica uh, while we're talking here. And I want to get up to this moment where the song changes. it live and people clap because they think it's over but then it's not what why i guess the easy question to ask as people listen to something like this is why is this not two songs why
1: (laughs) yeah well no actually it actually is two songs but i never you know i i never stop when i'm performing live. i never like end the song and then start a new one i think it's because i'm too shy so the like idea of having to speak in between songs like freaks me out so I always just keep playing forever Um, but it's been interesting because actually in those in-betweens like in that dramatic you know in interlude I guess when I between Portugal and Jamaica I was like those moments is where all my music comes from after because I'll, I'll play a show and I have, you know, I'm playing whatever, six songs and I'll do that. I'll, I'll leave empty empty loops on the MPC that I can improvise and I have to think how to like harmonically connect them and I improvise that part and how to like change the tempo and I'll do all the things to get from one song to the other. And then always those things are that I what I save from the live show and then I go back home and I start writing on top ah, of them.
0: It's so funny. Because for me, what I took from it—it's just funny—just to you hear one audience person. What I took from that was that there's um, there's no death, that there's that <laughs> there's that there's only transition to the other phase. Do you know what I, I mean? I love
1: it. I do, and I love yeah. it. And now this is again. I'm I'm just stealing everything. I'm like next time, <laughs> the next time somebody a- asks me this, I'm like, well, you know, there's no death. It's only transition. <laughs> I'm going to sound so much cooler from now on. Thank you so much.
0: For oh, it. good. Well, I will, too. I will, too. I am I cooler for, for for having uh, uh, internalized your sound. Now. Yeah, we best are. Friends.
1: Yeah. We it's
0: are. Making us people cooler. Got, people got to witness it. It's funny because we were just, I'll tell it, I'll confess to the audience, we were just going to talk, you know, I just wanted to meet, meet you. And then I said in the email, you know, why don't we just, why don't, the, the, why don't we document our meeting? You know, there might just be a Team Human episode in this thing, um, and uh, I sure think there is. I'm I'm glad to share uh, to share our first encounter. with uh, Me too. It's such an team. honor.
1: It's such an honor. Yeah, it, yeah. I can't. I'm like holding my hands like this is. I'm so like excited and yeah, thankful that this is happening. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, welcome to Team Human. You've been on it a long time. I have a feeling. I
1: have been doing it. Thank you. Wow, so you
0: You've been on Team Human. Our guest today, musician and composer Ella Minus. You can hear her work on the new album Acts of Rebellion and find out more about her at ellaminus.com or at teamhuman.fm where you can find out about all of our guests and also become a supporting subscriber of the show. Team Human is edited by Luke Robert Mason and produced by Joshua Chapdelin. I'm Douglas Rushkoff and you've been on Team Human our last best hope for peeps.